So there are some familiar and established routines in the natural world around us. Did you agree with that? There are some familiar and established routines in the natural world around us. There are things that happen in a certain order, and they always happen in that same order, and there's no exceptions. There are some things like this. So, for example, first the sun rises, and then it sets. That's the order. It happens like that every day. There's no exceptions. I'll give you another one. Spring turns into summer, which turns into fall, which turns into winter. And it doesn't go back. It keeps going forward. Spring, summer, fall, winter. It happens this way every year. It never changes. There's no exceptions. So we're not surprised when these things happen. It's not surprising when winter starts to turn into spring. In fact, we're expecting it, right? Familiar established routines from the natural world around us. Now, how about when it comes to your own life? I don't know how your personal life is. Maybe there are some of you that are like, I would like a few more established routines in my life. Because you can try to establish routines, you can try to be in control of your schedule, but you know what happens is that life is very chaotic, and it is uncertain, and surprises are happening all the time, good surprises and bad surprises. But when it comes to your personal life, maybe you sometimes wish you had a little more routine. However, there are some routines. Even in human life, amidst the chaos of human life, there are some things that happen predictably always in the same order, without any exception. And there's one that is more noticeable than any of them. It is this. First we live, then we die. That's the order, right? Life gives way to death. Life gets to speak for a while, and then death gets to have the final say. So we're not surprised when death touches our life, when death takes someone close to us, or we shouldn't be surprised because we've learned to expect it. In this sin-broken world, this is simply the way things work. And it would be ridiculous to expect something different. Let me give you an example of how ridiculous this would look. So this spring, you guys remember how warm it was this spring? Like late February, early March, it was beautiful. My azalea bushes were loving it. They started pushing out these beautiful pink blooms. They smelled so great. It was like, wow, spring is here. And then what happened in mid-March? It got super cold, right? It got down to like the mid-20s, like a hard freeze, and plants were just dying everywhere. I don't think there's any star jasmine left in the city of Atlanta. But the same thing happened to my azalea bushes. Like uh, these beautiful pink petals, within a few days, they turned brown and withered, and pretty soon they weren't attached to the bush anymore. They were just scattered all over the ground. So what if I had the expectation that I could go on the ground and pick up some of these brown withered petals and take them and put them back on the bush? Like what if I got some tape and attached them back to the bush? Is there any hope of life? Well, the plant is going to grow more flowers, but the flowers that fell off were dead and they were not coming back to life. That's just not the way it works. Now the prophet Isaiah wrote about flowers and he compared flowers to human beings. Here's what he said. All people are like grass 
and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. So this is how it works. Every generation of human beings pops up fresh and strong and healthy and brave and we're ready to change the world. And then every generation and every last person eventually ages, withers, fades, and dies. Life gives way to death. Life gets to speak for a while. Death gets the final word. That's just the way that it is. Now, we don't need the Bible to tell us this. We know this already. But what the Bible does is it tells us why this is the way that it is. The Bible clarifies for us. It tells us things like this. The soul who sins is the one who must die. The wages of sin is death. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So, in other words, death has a source. right? And the source of death is that selfishness and evil that lies at the bottom of every human heart. Now, it shows up differently in different people, right? You're thinking about selfishness and evil and wickedness in the world. You might turn on the news and read about some horrible act of wickedness, and you're like, I would never do that. And you probably wouldn't. But all of our selfishness and evil in our own unique hearts shows up in our life in our own unique way. And maybe the way that our selfishness and evil shows up is even in ways that other people can't see. But we can see it. Like, I really think as, as sad as the thought of our own death is, if we sat and considered our life, our actions, words, thoughts, motivations, and if we really thought about ourselves, we would all have to admit the truth. None of us deserves to live forever. 2,000 years ago, there was a man who claimed to be different. He claimed that he had the power to forgive sins. He claimed that he had the power to defeat death. He even predicted his own resurrection. And this man, 2,000 years ago, said crazy-sounding things. He said things like this, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said things like this, destroy this temple, and I'm going to rebuild it again in three days. He even said things like this multiple times to multiple audiences. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. Very clear, very specific. So specific that after Jesus died, maybe you remember, his enemies went to the governor and they made a special request. They said, this Jesus guy has been talking about resurrection for years. Can we please have some Roman soldiers? Can we please have a guard and a Roman seal and set this tomb up so that nobody will touch it? And so they had, maybe, remember, a giant stone in front of the grave and there's the Roman seal and you have these armed Roman soldiers in front of it so that there could be no staged resurrection. But it wasn't necessary because on Easter, Jesus' disciples were not in a body-stealing mood. They were in the depths of despair. See, they had had high hopes for Jesus. They had believed that he's the Son of God, the promised Savior, with the power to take away sin and death and bring people into God's kingdom forever. They had believed all this incredible stuff about Jesus. 
But after the events of Good Friday, none of it seemed to matter anymore because Jesus was dead. Nailed to a cross and hung there till his heart stopped beating. Speared in the side to make absolutely sure. Taken down off that cross, wrapped in cloths, put into a tomb, stiff already and cold and dead. And so you think, what was in the minds of the disciples on that first Easter weekend? If there's one thing that we gather, I think what was in their minds was probably something like this. What were we thinking? How could we have been so naive? How could we have been so foolish to think that even Jesus could break the most familiar and established routine of all? Life gives way to death. Life gets to speak for a while, but death has the final say. That's just the way it is. Apparently, even for Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior. So the mood on that first Easter weekend was not a mood of hope. It was a mood of despair. Mary Magdalene and the other women were not going out to the grave to see if maybe Jesus rose. They were going out to the grave to finish giving him the proper funeral they didn't get to do on Friday. Meanwhile, where are the men? Peter, James, and John, and all the other disciples are hiding in fear, mourning the loss of their Savior, mourning the death of their hopes, and worrying if the next crucifixion might be their crucifixion. So on that first Easter morning, death was looking pretty undefeated. The future was looking pretty bleak. Have you ever felt that way? As you stand beside the grave of a loved one, as years after losing a loved one, you look back and you just still miss them so much. As you feel age or sickness beginning to take hold of your own body, siphoning away your health and your strength, as we feel these things, it's easy to feel despair instead of hope. Because we know the pattern all too well. We know what happens and in what order. Life gives way to death. Life gets to speak for a while, and eventually death has the final say. That's just the way it is. Except on Easter. Because on Easter, when the women arrived at Jesus' tomb, they received three incredible surprises that they were not expecting at all. The first surprise, when they got to the tomb, is that the tomb was open. Matthew tells it to us like this. He says, An angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So surprise number one, the tomb was open. The women were not expecting to find this at all. They were astounded. I guess surprise 1B was also that there's an angel there, which they probably weren't expecting to find in the morning either. But the next surprise, not only was the tomb open, not only had an angel apparently rolled away the stone, but the tomb was empty. There was nothing inside. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen just as he said. In fact, come and see the place where he lay. So they did. Tentatively and fearfully, the woman walked into the tomb and nothing was in there. No body. It was empty. 
The only thing inside the tomb was a set of grave cloths, neatly folded up and set aside, as though it was never going to be needed again. So, then the angel told the women that they should probably go back to Jerusalem and share this news with the guys. So, they started on the road, and it tells us that they were afraid, yet filled with joy, just trying to process what exactly has, happening, has happened here, talking among themselves about what they've seen. And on the road is when they receive surprise number three. Jesus is alive. Matthew says, suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I don't know what's your opening line when you rise from the dead and surprise people, but Jesus says his greetings. And literally the word is rejoice. So, <laughs> wow. So they suddenly came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And what else do you do when someone comes out of their grave three days later? But Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And there they did. They all saw him. They saw him Easter afternoon. They saw him Easter night. They saw him the next week night. They saw him again and again. And the Bible records all of Jesus' resurrection appearances to so many people so many times, 500 people at all at one time, until at last there could be no more doubt about what had happened. He had done it. Jesus had upset the natural order of things, and he had moved backwards from death to life. Watching what happened on Easter through your mind's eye, it's like watching if it's the middle of winter, and all of a sudden it rewinds to this beautiful golden autumn. Watching what happened on Easter in your mind's eye is like watching those brittle brown azalea petals laying all over my yard, and suddenly they start to become soft and pink and full again, and they float up in the air and reattach themselves to the plant and begin to bloom and live. It's crazy. Things like this don't happen unless you have a rewind button for your life. Things like this are impossible. And yet on Easter, it did happen. For the first time ever, death gave way to life. Death had been able to speak for a while, but life got to have the final say. So, how could this possibly be? Why did this get to happen on Easter? Well, we talked, right, about how sin and death are so closely connected. Sin and death both came into our world on the same day, the fall and the sin, and we have not been able to get rid of them ever since. They've been mankind's big twin enemies, sin and death. We've been unable to free ourselves from them until Easter. On Easter, Jesus conquered death, and that proved that he had conquered sin as well. So as it turned out, all of Jesus' big talk about salvation and eternal life had not been just talk. It had been reality. When Jesus had died on that cross three days before, he had died carrying on his shoulders all the accumulated sin of the entire world, including your sin, including my sin, all the selfishness and evil that lies at the bottom of our hearts, the things nobody else even knows about. Jesus took it all to the cross and suffered God's punishment for all of it. And he endured God's punishment, took it away so fully and completely that as far as God is concerned, through faith in Jesus, you don't have any sin anymore. And where sin is gone, death is also gone. So now we're getting into it. This is why Easter is the most important day in the history of humanity. It's not just because of what happened to Jesus, but it's because of what it means 
for what's going to happen to us someday. Over the next six weeks, we're going to start a new sermon series. And in this series, we're going to be studying one chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. It's sometimes called the Great Resurrection Chapter because the whole chapter is about not only Jesus' resurrection, but what it means for our resurrection one day. And we will hear some beautiful verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Here is just one of them. It says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the firstfruits of a much larger harvest to come. Easter was the first resurrection of many more resurrections to come. In fact, Easter was the beginning of a brand new era, an era where the natural order of things has been flipped on its head, an era where death gives way to life, where death speaks for a while, but where life gets to have the final say. And this new era, do you realize it? It has already started. It started in our hearts. Right? We all were born with dead hearts, sinful hearts, hearts that were totally opposed to God, totally unable to please him. And yet within those hearts of death, God planted life, a new heart of faith, a new identity as his child. Already our hearts have been raised from the dead through faith in our risen Lord Jesus. But our hearts are just the beginning. One day our bodies will be resurrected too. And on the last day of the world, it is going to be as though it was the middle of winter and suddenly it started to rewind back into a golden, beautiful autumn. On the last day of the world, you are going to see things as though the dead petals of the azalea are suddenly turning pink and floating back up into the air and reattaching themselves to the plants. And on the last day of the world, we will say things like this don't happen. But they are happening. They will be happening to us and to our loved ones. We will rise with perfect, glorified bodies to live and bloom forever. Because he lives, we also will live. As happens to the first fruit, happens to the rest of the crop. Once again, this is why Easter is the most important day in the history of humanity. It's not just the day of Jesus' resurrection. It's the day that guarantees your resurrection. So, what do we do on Easter? Well, really, we do three things. First, we celebrate what Jesus did in the past. 2,000 years ago, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. 2,000 years ago. Much more recently, in the past, Jesus came to us through his word, through baptism. He poured his Holy Spirit into our dead, sinful hearts and raised us to life. So on Easter, we celebrate everything Jesus has done for us in the past. Second, on Easter, we celebrate what Jesus is doing right now. He's filling us with comfort and reassurance that our faith in him is not in vain. And he is sending us out, like he sent the women on Easter morning, to share the good news with others. Remember what the angel said to the women? He said, go tell the disciples the good news. Now I've told you, now go do it. And then Jesus appeared to the women and he said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers in Galilee that there they will see me. If you fast forward in your mind, can you imagine the joy and relief that Jesus' disciples must have felt when they realized that it was true and he really had come back to life? 
All their hopes were restored all at once. Their hearts must have been ready to burst with happiness. In the same way, Jesus puts his gospel message into your mouth. And can you imagine the joy and relief that people will feel when they hear this gospel truth from you? When people realize that there's hope that goes way beyond this life. When people realize that there's hope for seeing their loved ones again in heaven. When people realize the truth of the gospel message, their hearts are going to be ready to burst with happiness. So on Easter, we celebrate the great things that Jesus is doing right now. But finally, on Easter, we celebrate what Jesus is going to do in the future. He already raised himself from death to life. He already raised our hearts from death to life. But the day is coming when he will complete the process. The day is coming when he will make all things new. And on that day, Jesus is going to shift aging, death, and decay into reverse and reunite us with our loved ones in glorified bodies and take us to a place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Easter is the beginning of a brand new era where everything moves backward. Death gives way to life. Despair gives way to hope. Defeat gives way to victory. And all God's children get to live happily ever after. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in your risen Savior Christ Jesus. Amen.